Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Welcome to episode, what, John, 136. I don't think that's right. That is right. Okay, episode 136. (laughs) We're going to take John's word for it. Well, if you're you're listening to this, you already know that it is correct. Okay, and uh, (laughs) today we're going to talk about two things. Actually, we're going to let you in on a John Thoughts. Today... We're going to talk about two things that John's been thinking a lot about, and I'm going to kind of understand it, query it, go deeper with it, and bring it out of his cerebral cortex into real life. And keep us keep us on the rails. Yeah. So two things we're going to talk about. One, that the physical world you touch, see, and engage with is actually a shadow of the eternal world. And two, that the kingdom we're living for um helps knowing that helps us realize that the kingdom we're living for is the real thing we're living for. And so we're willing to do the Abraham thing and live in tents and wait for a city whose architect and builder is God. Yeah. That'll be our case study for this, this idea. Yeah. So if that sounded heady to you, hang in here because it's going to get really good here in just a few moments. We've got Mr. Practical here to, to help me bring it down to, <laughs> down to some kind of useful. All right. So, so get us going, John. Uh, first is story time. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's your turn to tell a story. Yep, it is. So uh, this is a story from when I was a reporter, and I know it happened when we were doing the podcast, but I don't think I told it at the time because it was too it was too recent. I don't think. So if I have told this before, forgive me, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. Okay. So I would report on, uh, I wrote for a county newspaper, uh, well, several, but one publisher, and I would report on the uh, county commissioner's meeting. They uh, met every, two, every uh, week on... Monday, Monday mornings. And those county commissioners, that's quite a gig, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I think there's only three. I think there's three. To, they're going to add a fourth one now for Lewis County. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Lewis County. I was thinking of Thurston County. Gotcha. Those guys make a really hefty wage. I think it's over a hundred grand. Yeah. 120. Yeah. And they work one day a week on that. <laughs> they they have, have one, one meeting a week. They have the public commissioner's meeting one day yeah. a week. Yeah. They come in. I'm, they're, they're busy. They have an inordinate amount of power. They do. That's true. It's an inordinate amount of power. Well, they they run the county. Yeah, it's it's you know if the, it's a, if the it's president a sweet was, gig and there's nothing they've ever done that qualifies them to do it, except for get voted in. Yeah, that qualifies them. Yeah. Okay, I'm being sarcastic and pessimistic. You are. Dive right back. In your I story. only sorry about that. I only ever had great experiences with the Lewis County commissioners. Oh, good. Uh, and I met uh, one of the Thurston ones came down to a Rochester Chamber of Commerce meeting. I think his name was Ty Menser. And he was a great guy. He was really he was nice to talk to. He Good. really cared about that little community. Uh, anyway, so I would report on these guys once a week. And before COVID, I'd go in in person. Eventually, they went to Zoom meetings, which, uh, as a reporter, was nice because then I could just rewind that video as many times as I needed. Oh yeah, it was very very handy. But uh, you know, you lose something. So uh, in person, they would always end with uh, a meeting. It's it's pretty intimate. A Lewis County meeting. It's pretty small. Sometimes if they have like a big, they'd have a, a declaration proclaiming this day as Purple Heart Veteran Day, something like that. You'd get that, and uh, the place would be packed with veterans. And, oh, wow. And, you know, people Probably like they'd invited to come out for that. Yeah, and yeah. they'd take a big photo with a bunch of them and stuff like that. So uh, other than that, though, it'd just be reporters and some very dedicated, older Lewis County citizens. Yeah. 
So uh, they would end each meeting with, uh, you know, they they do the rounds. Everybody good? And they'd say anything from the press. They'd ask if we had any questions. Yeah, which was very kind. That is kind. Uh, I forget which one of them would do this. Uh, he was he was uh, great. He's maybe the most uh, personable of them, even though they're all nice. So obviously the answer is no most of the time. If if sure, some, if anything, this would produce bigger stories that I would go and and pursue later. There was nothing I was going to ask in front of the whole right. you know, the whole crew. So instead of saying. Uh, Instead of saying no this one time, uh, they say, you know, anything from the press? And I go, just two thumbs up. <laughs> and then and then crickets. And then total silence. You thought that would really get a laugh. Yeah, just because they're being goofy. And uh, and yeah, just silence. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and that was the meeting. He said, meeting adjourned. And he hit his little, hit his little thing. That is really funny. Yeah. And so uh, I'm a grown man now. I don't do a whole lot of... Uh, blushing i didn't hold my collar up around my neck and run out of there you know clutching right, my pearls right. uh but it was very funny and uh did you feel embarrassed like did you did you get out of there as fast as you could when it was over no i just kind of was laughing at myself yeah there was uh, a guy at the time uh worked at the chronicle the centralia paper so he would be there too his name was uh uh ralph something i forget his name i wouldn't say his full name other than he's a reporter he's a public figure he had come from new york um and uh and he would he would let you know that pretty soon in a conversation when you yeah, met him. Really proud of that. Yeah, and uh, he was kind of an oddball, and uh, he he's now gone back to New York. Um, but so he, I kind of laughed at him about it. But other than that, no, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> I just think of it fondly. Yeah, like your approval was really important to these guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no, it's, I don't know. It's just it's just well done, boys. Yeah, basically. I was just tired of saying I nope. endorse you. <laughs> It wasn't an endorsement as much as a, as much as a, I don't know, like a glad to be here. Kind Way of to go. Yeah. 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 I think it's a nice thing to do. I'm surprised they didn't uh, respond in kind in some way. I think if I, it's interesting for how often I reported on those meetings, I actually had very, very few uh, one-to-one, one-on-one conversations with them. So uh, if I had, you know, more of a rapport with any one of them individually, right. probably would have gone a little better. Yeah. But, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Get us going on this uh, topic today, John. And let's start with the idea of shadows and real. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, referenced in Hebrews and I'm sure elsewhere, but Hebrews is a kind of a recap of a lot of these things regarding the nature of God and uh, his, you know, his relationship with, uh, you know, it's the book of Hebrews with the uh, Hebrew the people, people yeah. throughout their history. So. Uh, one of these, he's talking about customs and traditions, and he's talking about the layout of the tabernacle. He's referencing this as kind of uh, more more than anything. He's not talking about it for its own sake. He's talking about it as uh, evidence of certain realities of God. Yeah, he's connecting. I, I would say, tell me if I'm if this is what you mean. He's connecting who God has always been to the person of Jesus. Yes, yeah. and that this all of this activity in the Old Testament actually was pointing toward Jesus. Yeah, and, and it's, so when he's talking about the tabernacle and the and the temple and the holy of holies and the holy and, of holies, he's talking about all of this was to help us understand exactly what Jesus came to do. And specifically his uh, uh role as the high priest, as the yeah. perfect high priest. Yeah. So, uh most of this is contrasting uh the design of God and the way we best tried to, uh, what's the word I'm thinking for it, imitate that design here per his instruction. And so uh, the tabernacle is one where the tabernacle, uh, according to the author of Hebrews and probably the author of, you know, Exodus, would that be or, or Deuteronomy or anyway, wherever it was first mentioned, 
the tabernacle is designed room for room in kind of the specifications like the one in heaven. Hmm. So there is a structure in heaven and God said, make this like the one I have up here. And hmm. he said, do it this way with this, with this order. Okay. And so, uh, the author of Hebrews says that the tabernacle is here is a shadow of the one we have in heaven. The one we will finally get to the one we'll see one day. Yeah. So it's crazy to me to think that there are people who, who saw this tabernacle here on earth and they'll get to heaven and go, Oh, Hey, I reckon I recognize that, that yeah. which is crazy to me. So, uh, but the reality here that he's saying is what we have here on earth, some things, but I think, I think everything that's been created by God on here is the shadow of what it is like in heaven in what will be like in the new heaven and the new earth. So, uh, we often think, you know, because the, the reality of it is that the flesh, things of the flesh and things, the physical things we see, the tangible things are louder by, by a lot, by, yeah, know, we exponents. would tend to, we would tend to think that, you know, the Holy spirit is a shadow. Exactly. Or, or our spirit, things in heaven are a shadow. These are tangible, right? Heaven is intangible. Right. And so, you know, Paul writes in, in Romans, you know, people of the spirit and people of the flesh, Yeah, the people of the spirit are, you know, uh, uh, we might call them quieter or more reclusive or more, you know, mysterious. It's, it's, it's much less of a tangible thing. So to imagine what we see as the most tangible as the shadow of the, of, you know, eternity of the things in, in eternity, the things with God, um, it's, it's another staple of how inverse the kingdom is, right? How totally upside down that is. And so really for me, if we're, if we're talking about, um, reality, the real tabernacle, right? We've mm-hmm. never seen it's in heaven yeah. and we have one that is probably close physically. It looks, mm-hmm. it looks about the same. Mm-hmm. So then when we're talking about reality and we talk about faith, right? Our faith in what is real, we can't see it. And so that brings us to our case study of Abraham. But before we go well, there, do you have yeah, any but, questions? Yeah, I do. Because, uh, what you're saying is that, that the real is in heaven yeah. in, with God and the, Shadow is here now. Yeah. That's talking about the tabernacle, but you you're you're extrapolating that out because what people the reason this is helpful to me when we were talking about this driving your truck around is that most people say I have a hard time getting my hands around God. I have a hard time getting my hands around things of faith. I yeah. need things I can touch, feel, and see. And so we have the we have this sense that if God would do something I can touch, feel, and see, that I would trust Him more. I would believe more easily totally and so it's really uh, a whack on the side of the head to say no this thing i'm touching feeling and seeing is not as real as god is right and the the experiences we're having with god here are not as real as they will be there and even our understanding is a shadow Uh, this speaks to the new testament says we see through a glass darkly and we see vaguely but when we see him we will see clearly because we will be like him for we will see him as he is. Yeah. So right now everything is a, is a blur is a deal. So it's helpful to me uh, from a faith standpoint to say, I'm not going to get uh, glued to what is here mm-hmm. and uh, evaluate life based on what I see here, because this actually is not as real as God is. Yeah. He's actually more real than this. Right. And the things that I'm trusting him to be and do and, and have done for me, 
my redemption is more real than the car I drive. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's helpful to me is this this aha that, hey, we are living our lives with happiness or sadness or faith or fear 100% around what we have here. Mm-hmm. And this is not the most real thing. Yeah, this is uh, smoke and mirrors. Yes. So you think, you know, which one must you reconcile to the other? Do you need to reconcile God eternity to and God yeah. to the smoke and mirrors? Yeah. You know, and that that's why which one is the shadow comes into play. Or do I you love need to reconcile that. this I mean, to, yeah, yeah. to... To me, this is really helpful because it helps me then with my grief or with my joy, mm. with my material things, with my poverty. All of that is, is like, hey, this is... There's something even more real than this. Yeah. And so I reconcile the shadow to the reality, like you were just saying, rather than trying to reconcile the shadow of God to the reality of what I can feel here. Exactly. Yeah. And this is uh, uh, dramatically done. C.S. Lewis describes heaven this way in the Chronicles of Narnia in the final book. And when reading that, I was like, wow, that's so cool. Where did you get that? Mm-hmm. You know, and now I, <laughs> now I kind of get it. I get that it's, it's a kind of a running theme of, of scripture that he talks about how in, uh, in Narnia when they get to heaven that the, or actually that might, this might be in the great divorce, but he uses the same imagery in both where in heaven, a blade of grass would go right through your foot in your earthly body because the grass there is more real than you are. It's more tangible. Oh, wow. it's, it's, it's more uh, um, realized yeah. than you are in your body here. Yeah. So, and then in your heavenly body, you would, it would be normal to you, which I, again, I love because I, you know, I had the aha a year ago or so about how eternity actually is more physically real than this. Mm-hmm. And here we have three dimensions of reality, um, and some say you know four D. If you have a time, that's uh, the fourth one. Yeah, uh, but in in heaven we're going to have like thirty nine Ds. <laughs> like you're going to have a reality so real that it blows your ever loving mind because yeah. you see the depths of what is real. And then looking back on the reality we have here will look like playing a Mario game. Like exactly. it'll, just be to- it'll just be flat. Just kinda... A first generation Mario game. Like, <laughs> yeah, you eight know, bit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other part of the point of this when, when uh, the author of Hebrews is, is talking about this is also um, the roles we have that we had in the law. So like he talks about the priesthood and the priesthood of Aaron and it goes down the bloodline and, uh, and how that priesthood fills a role again to the best of human efforts, which mm-hmm. spoiler alert is not mm-hmm. very well, uh, that is now fulfilled, that the, it is a shadow of the role that uh, the son plays in heaven. Mm-hmm. And now that is fulfilled here. So uh, it's interesting, you know, we talk about the shadow and, and the real. When the kingdom is here, we're kind of in like, it's like a Venn diagram, the two circles with the the middle little diamond. Mm-hmm. And the diamond is where we are now. You know, now the kingdom is invading. The, right. sh- the, the real is, is invading is the shadow. Overlap, yeah. yeah. And so we have, this is, the, this is why we find ourselves with so many seeming paradoxes in our faith. Because we are, you know, we live in victory and the war's not over yet. And we live in the shadow world and we see real things happen. we see the glimpses of the real. We have, you know, the indwelling of the spirit. We have encounters with God, you know, miraculous things are happening. The real things are happening, but you're still, uh, you're still here. Yeah. You're still in yeah. the shadow. Uh, dimension. Yeah. Theologians call it the already, but not yet. Right. You know, what's interesting too, is you think about this, um, this shadow and real and um, this priesthood idea that, What's cool to me is that God engaged on the earth. He created these shadows to help us understand the real. Mm. And so uh, enter a guy named Melchizedek, which Hebrews chapter 7 talks about. 
we're doing a Christmas series at Evergreen on who is this child. And one of the weeks is going to be about Melchizedek because you have Melchizedek, who is a picture of, a, of who's a, a, another shadow God gives us about the priesthood, mm-hmm. about the priesthood of Jesus. Whereas Aaron and Moses and all the priests came, they have to be born into that. You don't get chosen for that. You don't volunteer totally. for that. You have to be born into that. But Melchizedek has no beginning and no end. We have no history. Uh, God gave us a person that n- nobody knew where he came from. And he's the Prince of Salem, which the other Hebrews says means the Prince of Peace. Prince of Shalom. Yeah. And yeah. And the King of Righteousness. So Abraham tithes to Melchizedek as the first tithe in, in history to a priest that nobody knows where he came from. And that is a shadow of Jesus who comes not from the line of Aaron, but from God himself, which is where Melchizedek came from. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of stuff. God goes out of his way over and over and over again to this complex. It's like, uh, what's that dream movie? A uh, dream within a inception. dream within a dream. Yeah. It's kind of like Inception where there are so many layers yeah. to how thoroughly God has thought about and incarnated this shadow. And it, it cracks me up because the, uh, the other tribes had tribe to the Levites, uh, tithe to the Levites. Yeah. And he says, even the Levites, because they were in their ancestor, in Abraham, tithed right. to Melchizedek. Right. So implying <laughs> that if you're not born yet, you were partaking in the actions of your great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah. Which is a heck of an idea. That's a movie in itself. It really is. Uh, yeah. It goes crazy. Um, so I'll, I'll get into Abraham now if you're... Okay, let's do it. Yeah. So uh, then, a few chapters later, I believe, in Hebrews 11... Uh, there's what you know colloquially is called the hall of faith yeah just kind of uh, uh tongue-in-cheek but it's uh you know a, a, re- a collection of uh legends in the old testament who uh were very obedient and they lived by faith and they did whatever god told them to do and it's about their promises yeah so uh he starts off with uh faith is the substance of things that we hope for the evidence of things we cannot see uh, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. For we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then there's this litany of witnesses yeah. who are demonstrations of what faith actually is. Yeah, and that goes from the beginning. It starts with Abel, you know, goes stops by Enoch and keeps going. And uh, Abraham's is what uh, uh, caught my eye, uh, specifically for the uh, the imagery where, because I'd read this before, but this time it actually, it clicked to me what, he, what, what really the contrast is he's saying there. So it says, uh, by faith, Abraham, uh, when called to a place uh, that he would later receive as an inheritance, uh, went, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know the way. Uh, by faith, he stayed in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Uh, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were uh, heirs with him of the same promise. And he looked forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so the contrast here, uh, because we know uh, Abraham tithing to Melchizedek was after he returned from uh, conquering a place, and he's got money. He's got like big time money. He's loaded. He's he's uh, yeah, extremely wealthy. So he uh, is set for life, and God says, uh, "Go that way, and I'll tell you when to stop." Yeah. And so he goes, and him and his descendants live in tents, sleeping on the ground, in the promised land, mm-hmm. and he dies that way. He dies in faith that way, and he, because he sees implied by you know the author of hebrews he sees prophetically around him that there will be the city of god there with foundations whose architect and builder is god himself so this is to me the a a beautiful 
and challenging image of what this middle Venn diagram shadow but real world looks like that you can see uh, glimpses of uh, and in many ways more than glimpses of you can see you know through the through the um, wisdom of the spirit and and further understanding of God uh, what this is really going to look like and that the kingdom really is here but you're in a tent still you're still sleeping on the dirt you know and uh, uh, Hebrews 11 at the end of it says you know all these people that they just recounted, including Abraham and Abel and Enoch and more, uh, died uh, while still living in faith. So they did not receive what was promised. And he's talking specifically that we now have received what was promised in, in Christ. They, they were looking forward to the day we live in. Exactly. Yeah. So that's more the point he's talking about. And as much as beautiful as that is, uh, I think it's still the, the contrast, the image is still helpful to us, even though we have received what God promised, we are still in this tension. Shadowland. Shadowland. And so, uh, so kind of uh, telling you what I heard you say, and yeah. then you kind of help me out here. So Abraham's filthy rich; he could stay right where he's at and dominate. He's clearly winning. Yeah. And instead, he follows God's call to travel to a land that will one day be the Holy Land. Yeah. And in that Holy Land, that's not Holy Land yet, he lives as a foreigner and a stranger in tents. Um knowing that he's not going to get to see this holy city that his uh, descendants will occupy. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting there is that there's a point in time where God tells him this darkness comes over him and he's terrified. And God tells him, your descendants will be slaves in this land for 400 years uh, because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is still working out the story of redemption through these pagan nations. Yeah. This is why people who struggle with the slaughter, uh, the genocide of whole nations, need to understand that God was executing, ex- exercising 400 years of patience with those lands. Waiting for them to turn, even though they were Putting his own people. people in slavery to extend grace to them, more time for them to turn towards God. Yeah. So God's executing his redemptive plan. He keeps loving after everyone, seeking that all would know him, while his people are called to live by faith, in tents, by, fi- by faith, for a city that's not here yet. Yeah. And your, our, your statement is, that's what we're still doing, mm-hmm. is that we need to understand and embrace, we're living in tents too. Yeah, and uh, again, after that, you know, at the end of chapter 11, he says, uh, uh, these people died by faith and, and were faithful because they saw the future city of God. And they knew that they were foreigners here and that they wanted a place of their own. Mm -hmm. And because of this desire and faith and recognition, God is not ashamed to call them his own people and to give him their own country, give them their own, their own city. So, uh, those things, you know, really was, it was the image of, of the future city and being in the same geographical place. So we, there, if there's, you know, space and time, all the time we hear prophecy and seeing the future things of God, but to be in the same place, it's weird that it ha- to me it's it's so beautiful because it has a sense of presence. He's standing in the very spot where in the future there will be those things, mm-hmm. and he dies well before it. And so we have so much more hope than that. Obviously, you know, Hebrews 11 again ends with, if all these people had this much faith and didn't receive what was promised, how much more should you have now that we have received what was promised? Again, they looked forward to the things that we get to to see the relationship we get to have with God. Yeah, and what's interesting, the idea of the city. He's looking for a city. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if he wanted a city, he, he says he, he could go back to his own. Yeah. Like he had cities he could go to. 
But he decided instead to wait for a city, a city that God would make for his descendants. Now, this is really interesting to me because it occurs to me right now, and if I'm taking us on a tangent here, John, stop me. (laughs) Okay. There's a book called The Meaning of the City. Have you ever heard of that? I don't think so. The Meaning of the City. You might have brought it up to me before. but I I want to say Jacques Ellul is the author. And uh, it's interesting because it talks about the nature of cities that human beings love to build cities. Mm. And you have Cain and Abel, where Cain murders Abel, and Cain then is sentenced by God to, to be a wanderer. And he can't go to any cities. Right. Yeah. And what does he do? First thing he does, he goes and he builds a city. Really? Yeah. He And so uh, it's this impulse that I'm a vagabond, I'm a wanderer, I have no, I'm, I'm lost, and so what do I want to do? I want to build a city. Some kind of base for himself. I, I want to build a community. I want yeah. to build paradise. And we still have notions of that. I live in a neighborhood that I think is very uh, um, relational and warm and safe and friendly. Sure. Uh, we have people right now in Washington who are uh, conservative in their politics and they're sick and tired of living in this uh, liberal space. And so they're packing up and moving to what? To places that fit that feel more like at home, that feel that people that believe more. And like I'm not being do. critical of that. I'm saying this is a human impulse: sure. is to find a city, to find a place where I connect, where I can be provided for, where it's safe, where it's prosperous. And this is why Abraham, uh, why his faith is so extraordinary, because he has the wealth to be in any city he wants, or to build his own, or to build his own. And instead, he does this. And this is the temptation to us. And this is why this is helpful to me, because I'm tempted to latch on to what I can see, taste, touch, feel, and smell, Mm -hmm. and I'm tempted to give my affections to what is, in reality, shadows. Yeah. And um, so what God is calling me to do by faith is to push away my impulse to build a city of my own, to push away my impulse to cling to these shadows and instead embrace my uh, citizenship intense, waiting for the reality to come by faith. You nailed it, man. That's beautiful. That is exactly what I'm talking about. And the city, because again, the if the city in this example, like you're talking about, is is mostly tied with identity. You know, you want to go to a place where you are relieved of tension because you're among people who have your same identity, right. your same beliefs. Right. And the reality is that we are citizens of a city that that physically is not here the walls don't exist here yeah you know then that uh then that really is impossible you can't you can't extricate yourself from that tension because we can't go home yet you know we're still waiting to go home and god keeps giving us more shadows more taste Mm -hmm. more taste of the of the already but not yet right he says that we like uh that we are living stones being built together into a habitation of god by the spirit so while we are longing for a city not yet built and we're longing for an eternal home that's more real than anything we've ever known. We are given by God the grace to connect to one another as the people of God. Mm-hmm. And we become living stones that build what? A habitation of God by his spirit. Yet another tabernacle, another place where God occupies and fills by his spirit. And we make that together. So it gives us the community we're longing for. Absolutely. And the presence of God that we're longing for. And even that is just a shadow of what's to come. Yeah. And last thing I'll say before we do our show and tell and commercial break is uh, it occurred to me, you know, in the, uh, uh, what's that practice you've been doing with scripture where you 
you do these things. Lectio uh, Divina. Lectio Divina. One of those is contemplate Christ. Yeah. Where in any passage of scripture, you should be able to find at least a, a little morsel of, mm-hmm. of Christ and who he is. And in this uh, uh, discipline of Abraham and the obedience of Abraham, I see Jesus mm. leaving his perfect home. He's yeah. in the real place. He's yeah. in the place that we dream about. To enter into our shadow. To enter into our, and he comes and lives in a tent, in the dirt, in the pain. He knows that they're going to invent plumbing in a couple thousand years. <laughs> and he knows that he's not going to have plumbing down in, you know, zero AD Jerusalem. <laughs> right. But he does it anyway. Yeah. And, and he lives in our, in our muck, in our pain, and he, out of obedience to God. And even among that, he doesn't do that wealthy like Abraham. Right. He does it where the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeah. He does it in poverty. Yeah. So just the, again, the circle goes round and round and deeper and deeper. And it's, it's for me, the coolest thing about our faith, one of them, mm. is how consistent it is in theme and rhetoric. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. And how it's layer, shows another layer, shows another layer mm-hmm. that you, that it, and I feel like, I thought the other day when we get to heaven, we're going to say this a thousand times. He thought of everything. <laughs> and as you dig into the uh, accuracy of the shadow that God has given us, you say that again. He thought of everything. Like in a movie, you see the twist and then you go back and watch the beginning. And you go, oh, I didn't catch that the yeah, first time. All, yeah. these, all these little throwbacks. Yeah, now in hindsight, I see it all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's do uh, your show and tell. And then I want to know after a commercial break. Some more, um, uh, how does this help me? I want to, I want to talk a little more about practically what this means okay. in our lives. All right. My show and tell, uh, John and I have mentioned, we've mentioned uh, multiple times that we're in a discipleship group with, I think there's 12 of us, and um, we have used a variety of books and resources along with really disciplined Bible reading. And the book that we're using now is called, it's a workbook, and it's called The Workbook on Lessons from the Saints. It's written by a guy named Maxie Dunham. Maxie Dunham uh, is a theologian. He was uh, president of a seminary, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, this a pastor partic- for a while. Yeah. yeah. And this particular workbook is no longer in print. So we found a bunch of them on Amazon. We bought all the ones that were affordable. There still are some copies out there, but they're like 50 to to $100. And so you're probably thinking, well, why are you telling me about this? So I'm going to have to pay hundred bucks <laughs> to get it because I will help you. If you want this, we are actually in the process of digitizing some of this because it's so good. And we did call the publisher and they said, hey, it's out of print. There's nothing they can do. So we're going to do it and not to make money. This is, you know, this is just to share this amazing resource. But he's got other workbooks. I think he's got a total of six of them. Oh, wow. And uh, the one that he's most famous for is still in print, and it's called The Workbook on Abiding in Christ. So uh, I just want to point you towards Maxie Dunham, and I want you to point you toward these workbooks. And he's very good at this format of workbooks. It's a great format because it gives you a devotional process that's phenomenal. And uh, it is daily stuff, seven days a week, with a reflection set of questions at the end of the week. And uh, also some habits to do during the day, uh, each day. So great process. I have found it. And so far, everyone I've talked to in the group has found it to be incredibly helpful. So there you go. Maxie Dunham, workbook on lessons from the saints or workbook on abiding in Christ, which is his most famous one. We're going to do that one later in our discipleship group. Uh, but you may, that one you can find for sure. And uh, I think you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be blessed. Awesome. All right, we'll be right back. 
Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Welcome back. Thanks for all of your, uh, man, all, all of our patrons. We're grateful for you. And uh, as always, if this is uh, helpful to you, we'd love to hear from you and pass it on to a friend. Okay, John, what is this doing for you? You're, you know, you've having these ahas, these insights, these cool, uh, you know, layers. Um, like an onion. Yeah. Ogres are like onions. <laughs> <laughs> What's it doing for you? How's it practically helping you? So for me, um, my first big uh, uh, moment with this group we're doing was uh, the realization of your relationship with God as far as authority goes. You know, the miracle, again, there's tension. The miracle of our current relationship with God is that we are sons and daughters. We're in the family. Yeah. and because of our acknowledgement of his sovereignty and because of our acknowledgement of, you know, what he's calling us to do, we are also slaves. So, uh, slaves of God, you know, and, uh, and because we join him in his crucifixion, right. That we also might join him in his resurrection. Right. So, you know, there are times in, uh, there's a, a situation in Kings where this guy, a nameless man of God, uh, is called to go give a message to the, to the, uh, priests and come straight home. Do not eat with anybody. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything. And he gets tricked by one of the priests. He says, actually, God told me you should come God eat God me. told me to tell you to come eat. Yeah. And he does. And then he gets uh, killed by a lion on the way home. And uh, so, and the lion does not eat him. That's kind of a show of like, hey, you you guys know what just happened. Yeah. You know why. I yeah. He kills him and then he just sits down next to him, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. And so, how does this bless you? What? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, these are these are challenging because you go, Why? You know, even times like when you, when you think about the meaning of how you spend your time, you think of Abraham in this tent forever. And is he interacting with a lot of people? Not really. He's really just there to live out his days in obedience to God and he, because he's doing what God told him to do. Mm-hmm. So the why, what I'm talking about is for me, the why is a constant mystery and especially with meaning. Why would, why am I doing this? You think of uh, Elijah for two years, he camps out by a riverbank until the river runs dry. And then he knows it's time to get up and go back to work. Mm. For two years. What do those days mean for Elijah? They mean something because of the obedience to God. So for me, the why here, if we're if we're playing again, we're playing in the shadow world. Yeah. And we say, you need to show me a why in the shadows. Uh, there is none for a lot of it. Or there's none that's going to make sense to us in a, with our shadow world logic. Mm-hmm. There is why in the real world in the in the in the spirit, you know, the, the kingdom of the God. kingdom of God. But the point is that we're slaves. So for me, this is this becomes the why. So if I'm called to do something by God and I go, 
I don't understand why you would have me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter. And the reason that you can say yes to something that you don't understand is because of the understanding of this is all this shadows. Is the shadows. And the understanding of what it means to be faithful to God. It might mean staying in a camp and, you know, because, again, if we're doing business tr- strategy right mm-hmm. here on earth, we think, oh, Abraham, you could do so much more for the kingdom if you use that money. If you go into the cities that already exist right. and use your money to show people the love of God or mm-hmm. whatever, that's not what God told them to do. And the reason that is okay is because it, we're in that upside down. We're in the, the shadows. So that's that's what this means to me on a practical level is for reconciliation of uh, the things you don't understand. Exactly. Exactly right. So uh, one of the ways this strikes me is I, I heard somebody say, that if two angels were given instructions by God, one is told to go and um, help the the Queen of England do this major <laughs> thing, and the other one is told to shovel cow manure in a field, yeah. that it would not occur to them that one of them got a better assignment than the other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because they are so attached to what is real. And this is what I hear you saying here, is that this helps me live in the shadow with the mystery of what of meaning, because I know that, I will never have ultimate meaning here in the shadows. Yeah. So I can live as a slave to Christ, joining him in his suffering so that I might also join him in his power because none of this matters anyway. It's all shadow. And that's the reality of it is really that the living a life like that is the only salve for that meaning burn. It's the only thing that'll fill any of those, any of those uh, voids. And we had a conversation not too long ago about, um, other ways to, you know, people have accused the um, the Western Church of being watered down gospel kind of right, thing, right. and other ways to talk about that. And my one of my thoughts was that uh, to phrase it as, you know, again, you just preached on baptism being a burial, as really the amount of things you 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 do lose when you uh, enter the kingdom, and one of those is uh, admitting that the uh, holes you want filled in your heart, the the dreams you have, won't get. Uh, won't resolve the way you want them to. And that is not only okay, that's a good thing. Yeah. But the acknowledgement of that loss, the acknowledgement of that, of that uh, uh, impossibility Mm -hmm. that uh, if you want to be fulfilled in the most hedonistic sexual way, that's never going to happen, but you'll be fulfilled in ways way better than that because of the real, the real kingdom. Yeah. It occurs to me too, that in the garden of Eden, that was real. That wasn't shadow. Yeah. And then it was sin that caused all of this to fade into shadow because before sin in the world, that was real with God. He was there walking in the cool of the day. It was paradise. The shadow comes because of brokenness Mm. and God's going to redeem it and make it real again. Okay. Here's one of my things that um, I'm going to lean on you because this idea actually came from you in one of our talks uh, off, off mic. Uh, a week ago, we do talk off mic every now and again, a lot. And so, um, you were talking about um, in video games, there's a hidden strength, hidden stat, hidden stat. Yeah, and I love this idea that, um, and I'm not a video gamer, so maybe I can explain this in a way that a non-video gamer would get it. <laughs> sure. When you're in a video game and you're fighting, or uh, let me let me handle this. Part. Okay, I can. I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll hand the baton to you. All right. Uh, so in specifically, uh, uh, like strategy style games and a lot of mostly Japanese games, uh, they will do, it's called a hidden stat. Cause you imagine, even if you never played a game, you know, you can level up, you heard about that and you can allocate, you know, stats. So you can say, well, with this level up, I got a little stronger. 
I got a little faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some little more uh, uh, esoteric games, there will be a hidden stat that you don't know about. And it affects kind of mysterious things, and it keeps kind of the mystery of the game alive. So that's basically what that is. Yeah, so uh, you can acquire these other stats. You can choose your stats. Like you can choose a weapon in a war game. You can choose what kind of guns you use, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when you're fighting in some of those games, you're watching your strength stat. So that you know, oh, I'm about to die. If I get hit one more time, I'm going to die. So you avoid more contact so that you can restore strength, right? Sure. Well, I mean, that's more of like a health bar kind of thing. Strength might be how much damage you deal. Okay. Like that. So yeah. the point is you've got these stats you can supervise right. and in some ways control. But there's always a, there, there's a secret stat that you don't understand what makes it rise or fall. Totally. But, but it has a logic to it. Yeah. And what I'm what so th- I've been thinking about this this uh, metaphor because uh, connection to the real world in the kingdom of God, connection to abiding in Jesus, connection to being rooted and established in His love, the connection to joining Him on the cross that you might join Him in the resurrection. This is the hidden stat. Yeah, and this is the difference maker um, from flourishing in the shadow or struggling in the shadow. And you touched on it earlier that uh, most of these ones, the you know ways you can improve your relationships here, ways you can get physically stronger or healthier or get smarter, you can control these things. Yeah. But uh, the, the hidden one is out of your control. You can have the disciplines. You know, mm-hmm. you can spend time in prayer and, and scripture reading and journaling and giving and the disciplines, but the growth is really out of your hands. It's given to you by God. It's, yeah. it's his grace lavished upon you. And it is about receiving that grace. And so um, I really like that. And so the reason that joint that connects this whole conversation of shadows and living in tents is because recognizing that it's a shadow and embracing that I'm living in a tent and embracing that I'm waiting for a city yet to come actually feeds the secret stat yeah absolutely and it empowers me then to live a different life yeah i think that'll do it uh do you have a big takeaway or is that is that about that's really it yeah and uh hopefully we weren't so heady that you couldn't keep up with what we're doing here or that it wasn't just boring to death (laughs) uh because this is really uh this guy this put a little uh little fire in my belly yeah you got some got some butterflies yeah it's good yeah yeah. Well, good. Hey, let us know what you think. Uh, you can always message us at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Uh, DM us on Instagram, Jim and John. Um, visit our website. Email us, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, do me a favor. All this talking about tense is, has brought back to me a funny video. You can it might maybe help me remember the name of it. A guy, he's preaching. This is like the early 2000s. <laughs> and he says, uh, he says, a guy was told to, to pitch his tent. And he says, pinch his tits. Yeah. It's a, it's a youth pastor yeah. speaking on a Sunday at this mega church <laughs> in, in the Denver area. And he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and yeah. Lot pinching, pitching his tents. Yeah. So yeah. Google that. It's a funny little video. Do it for me, and it'll give you joy in these challenging times. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it's a good time. It's a very, the look on his face as soon as he says it. Yeah. It, is, it lives in my it's head. It's priceless. Yeah. I go back to it whenever I need to laugh. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening.